Hey, I'm Will. And this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. You might already be having these conversations within your tribe, but we want to form a community that brings divergent thoughts together. My name's Jamie. I was a church planter and now I'm helping others to plant churches as the Gen 1K mission team leader. Instead of this increasing polarization, we want to learn how to explore different perspectives with a commitment to learning from each other. So at the end of every episode, I've gathered some friends for a roundtable conversation to explore how these ideas might play out in your context. Follow us on Instagram and join our Forming Church podcast Facebook group to add your voice to the conversation. Well, hello. Welcome back to Forming Church Podcast. Yes. Thank you for uh, allowing us to be in your ears. And that sounded creepy. What a privilege. Yeah. <laughs> what a creepy privilege to be in your ears. There's a lot of things you could be listening to right now, but uh, we don't want to take it for granted that you're listening to us and uh, you're on the journey with us. So thank you. You're welcome. On behalf of everybody else, they couldn't say it, but they wanted to say it. <laughs> Men of the people. Will Small, everyone. Um, we have... One of my favorite conversations. They're all my favorite conversations, to be honest. I'm very enthusiastic and they were all great interviews. But this one does hold a special place for us. It does. You say? It does. Yeah, we, uh, we speak to Craig, who um, uh, for me has been my pastor for, I don't know, 25 years, maybe longer. Um, and uh, we've, Will and I have both been on staff under Craig's leadership. And uh, a lot of our planting journeys is because of Craig. And his championing and um, developing of us and his vision, um, and pretty incredible story really of turning around a, a really healthy, great church, but a forty-year-old church, and planting another church, and sub- subsequently a, a third church. Um, you know, after forty years of of barrenness, that's a that's an old. We old have birth. joked about it. It's sort of like a bit of a midlife crisis baby <laughs> but just starting late i mean that's that's what people do these days right yeah they start late uh anyway <laughs> um just two 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 churches and our and our old mum yeah <laughs> <laughs> now this is a particularly i think valuable episode for those who are not really thinking about church planting if you're a senior pastor or if you're an associate pastor, or if you are on staff at a church that's well-established. Mm. You know, a lot of what our conversations so far have been about the new. You might not be thinking that on that wavelength at all, but I think this is the perfect conversation, maybe just to get some seeds of some new ideas uh, if you're already in that kind of well-established context. Yeah. So here is our conversation with Craig Corker. Well, this feels like a very special interview today because we are sitting in the room with Craig Corkill and uh, the three of us, Craig Corkill, Ben Gould and Will Small, used to be on the same team at Narara Valley Baptist Church and it is largely thanks to Craig's leadership 
that two other churches have now been birthed out of Narara. So very gracious. I feel uh, super excited about this conversation. We're still on the same team, by the way. We are. Of course we are. Yeah. So are you talking like Team Jesus now? Or yeah. Like, right, yeah, okay, yeah. good. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for people who don't know you, Craig, what does a normal week in the life of Craig Corkill entail? You see, I'd love to be able to have some epic story about how amazing my week is. Uh, to be honest, like most people, i got a, a regular kind of a week and it's time with family and it's time with God and it's time engaged in ministry. But there's also a whole lot of other variables as well that can come in at any given week. So I'm, I'm quite involved regionally here on the central coast of New South Wales, um, both within Baptist world, but also significantly beyond Baptist world as well. I've got a whole lot of other friends who are, are pastors in other denominational churches, which is, I love these guys. Uh, did some college lecturing uh, down at Morling College uh, in the area of leadership and management um, and also do some mentoring, uh, mentoring of younger pastors and uh, seeking to uh, invest there. So there's, there's a variance. Very good. You have um, been in a number of different ministry contexts. You've been the senior pastor for Narara Valley Baptist Church for a long while now. 18 um, years. Yeah. yeah, longer than I've been alive. So... Uh, <laughs> You are not that young. I remember you when I first came here, just quietly. Um, Past years are like dog years. Yeah, that's How right. That's right. That's right. Um, but you've also been a church planter. You've you've done mm. a, a bunch of different things. I'm interested how um, those things and the different contexts that you've been in has shaped kind of some of your your DNA as a leader and a minister and uh, what you're doing now. Yeah, thanks. Um, I guess we're looking at the things that have shaped the DNA, my DNA as a leader, I'd go right back before the ministry stuff, right back to family. Uh, I have the great privilege of, uh, of growing up in a family where I was modelled a deep love for God and for people. So that was kind of part of the, the culture, the DNA really that I was, I was raised with, which was wonderful. There's also been a number of really significant mentors for me. Um, people who really gave me a passion for making disciples. And so from a very early age, uh, that value around, okay, we need to invest our lives strategically in the lives of others uh, around making disciples. That was a really key piece. Then later on when I went to Morling College as a student, uh, I really focused a lot on global mission. In fact, my wife Carolyn and I we were accepted candidates in training with what is now Global Interaction, used to be called Australian Baptist Missionary Society. And we, I, I did a whole lot of subjects, almost every subject that Morling offered in mission. I, I did that because I thought, hey, we're going to be going to Papua New Guinea and, and serving over there. Now, as it turned out, and I won't bore you with the details, we didn't end up in PNG, but having done all those subjects really... Um, seeded very deeply within me the the need to think missionally about whatever ministry context I was in. Uh, initially, it was down in southwestern Sydney, and uh, that was uh, phenomenal to see what God did there, but to think missionally about that community. And having been on the central coast here for the past 18 years, uh, being able to think, okay, how, how do we think missionally about this community? How can we engage with this community, understand the language, the culture, the meeting spaces that are here on the Central Coast? So that's really what has informed the way in which I do leadership. Yeah, that's really awesome. So you've been on both sides of being the, the sent one planting a new church and now part of the sending church, uh, sending out new churches. And my observation would be that starting a new church plant or a new endeavor or anything entrepreneurial sounds quite uh, sexy and exciting. Mm -hmm. um, 
but there's such an important role in the the people on the other end that are doing the sending that are being uh, sacrificial and generous in that way. Um, and that has played a huge role in setting up our church plants for success um, and having healthy DNA. I'm just wondering if you could talk about that, the dynamics of sending and what yeah. your experience has been like as a senior leader willing to embrace something like that. Yeah. It's funny having been now on both sides of the fence, having been a planter myself, uh, and now it's having sent out uh, you guys uh, with with the church planning. I actually think now that both are exciting, entrepreneurial, sexy to use your term. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, in fact, Carol and I are having lunch with a couple a fortnight ago, and we we spent a long time talking about all manner of things. But the subject of church planning came up, and when that came up. I, my heart rate started to increase, probably my volume, which is normally fairly loud anyway, probably started to increase as well. And uh, totally immersed in this conversation around church planning and I was able to speak kind of prophetically into, into this couple's lives and felt God really at work. As we were going back to our car, Carolyn turned to me and she said, you really light, light up when you talk church planting and there is something that God's doing in your life around that. And see, I, I find the sending thing just as exciting as the actual going uh, that I did some years ago. I guess to your question, Will, the dynamics around sending for me um, have been, and being a good Baptist pastor, they all start with the one letter and, you know, that's kind of how we roll, right? Um, Absolutely. (laughs) uh, For me, the first one is prayer. Um, That's the first dynamic in sending. Um, It's a recognition that, Lord, we don't have all the answers and we need wisdom right now. And I remember particularly with the first church plant, Benj, uh, at uh, at Greenhouse, in those early days when we're trying to figure out what is this thing going to look like? What are the dynamics at play? There's a lot of time spent in prayer and seeking God. So that's the first dynamic. The second one is, uh, as a sender, is preparation. Making sure that those you're sending have been prepared well and giving particularly the planters, and you guys in particular, particularly uh, giving them opportunities uh, to, that would prepare them. I remember a couple of years ago, Benj, when you were the youth pastor here and um, the Easter Sunday message, which is normally the most well-attended service of the year, I said, no, no, we're going we're gonna to give Benj that, that gig this year. He's going to preach at Easter Sunday. And I remember copying a ribbing from the team. The golden boy. Yeah, everyone called That's me the chosen one. I, I, never, I never got that gig. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Where was my preparation? <laughs> Sorry, man. I'll have to get you back next Easter. <laughs> oh, you I, got, I got several good Fridays in a row. And i got to say, like, it's harder to do the death talk than the resurrection talk. <laughs> uh, but now you it's, do, you it's do, character building. Yeah. Yeah, but your Christmas Eve talks are still the stuff of legend around here. Let's be honest. You know, Thank there's you. some absolute epic much. Christmas Eve <laughs> services. Uh, but, yeah, those sort of prep, uh, preparation uh, opportunities. Um, I know that with Will, for example, with you, um, uh, taking you along with me, I'd, I'd get a, a gig to go and uh, speak up at Compassion. And I remember saying, hey, I want to bring Will with me because uh, I want to give that as a preparation thing. A uh, couple of years ago, uh, Benj and I, you know, I was asked to do a, a, a talk to Baptist pastors around leadership pipeline. And I said, okay, I'll do it as long as I can bring Benj with me. And so it's those preparation options uh, that are there. Um, then there was promotion. Uh, as a senior leader, I want to publicly champion church planning and celebrate the wins and keep the congregation um, aware of what's happening. Uh, and the final part of the dynamic, and this is the difficult one, is the pain. Um, the biggest cost in church planting is not less backsides on seats. Uh, it's not less money in church accounts. 
Uh, when we planted greenhouse, we sent out ballpark kind of 25 people. Uh, and But within two months of sending out those 25, we had another new 25 people at Narara. Um, the Lord was very gracious. I remember him giving me this prompting around, hey, Craig, you, you can't outgive me. You know, you release 25, I'm going to bring in 25 and then some. Um, the biggest cost that we've experienced, that I've experienced, is not doing day-to-day life with those that you send out. So it's awesome that we can sit here today and have a conversation like this. And we do catch up because we're in a network together and that's awesome. But the the biggest cost for me has been the personal one of not you know, rocking into the office each day and laughing with you guys and carrying on and getting stuff done for the kingdom and celebrating those sort of things. That's the biggest cost. That's the pain. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's that's um that's huge. And I, I've been on the receiving end of of those uh those P's as well. Like I particularly, you know, I'm thinking about the prayer. It's easy to say that as a as an off the cuff, yeah, like we have to say prayer. But sure. um you know, uh, the church plant journey with the greenhouse, it really was mm. guided by prayer because we started oh, yeah. originally as it was going to be a campus. campus, that's right, yeah. And um, for you to, and a lot of this was was you hearing from God and reading mm. the scriptures and uh, reading other things and really hearing from God. And that's like, that's a pretty uh, humbling thing in some ways because it's, mm. it's going from, from uh, you know, extending or growing your church to yeah. growing something else yeah. um, and being very kingdom-minded. And I've seen you be... Uh, continually generous and humble in your leadership and I really appreciate that and I know that you always uh, champion us and I always hear you're like an anti-gossiper always <laughs> always hear from other people that you're talking well behind our back mm. um, and I see you do that for for lots and lots of people mm. um, how, how do you how do you cultivate that that level of generosity and humility in your leadership uh, when it's easier to build your own thing, it's easier to to continue to sort of just focus focus here, focus mm. on on what God's giving you, and sure. um, it's it's pretty easy not to be kingdom minded. So I'm just interested how you how you keep yourself encouraged and built up and ready to sort of encourage and champion others and other churches. Sure, no, great. I, I appreciate the encouragement too, man. Thank you. That that does mean a lot. Um, for me, the answer to that question is in the way you view leadership. Um, for, for me, I found that the, the Apostle Paul, you see a, a transition in the language that he uses throughout his letters. And in fact, beyond the book of Acts, you never read the term disciple anymore. Uh, what you read in place of that is the language of, um, of sons and of daughters. Um, and when you invest into others like they're a son and a daughter. And, you know, I've said to you guys many times before that I see you guys as like spiritual sons. Um, when you view people, not in a weird paternalistic kind of way, but you love these guys and it's more than just, oh, they're employees, uh, but they're, they're sons, they're daughters. It changes the way you go about doing your leadership and it changes the, the priority order of some things. Uh, so, for example, uh, with my own biological kids, uh, I've got three kids, Josh, Emily, Nathaniel. Josh is brilliant at playing guitar. Emily is just outstanding at creating art. And Nathaniel is amazing at any sort of sport that he throws his hand to. As a dad, if I'm watching my kids, I don't 
automatically think, oh, I wish people would recognise that I'm an epic guitar player. You know, No, I celebrate when I see my son playing guitar. And in fact, I think he's done the music for this podcast as well, hasn't he? Yeah. He has. He shout has. Out Josh Corker. Big, big shout out, Josh. JC. Shout out to all the JCs. <laughs> Including <laughs> Jesus. We're a big fan. Big, big fans, fans of, of JC. Of JCs, yeah. <laughs> that's it. But so he does the music and I go, that's awesome. And it's not like, you know, oh, I wish I wish the guys would have asked me to have written, you know, the podcast music and that sort of stuff. You were second choice. <laughs> <laughs> I was so not second choice. <laughs> but I look at uh, the artwork that Emily creates uh, and she's created her own Instagram feed at the moment with uh, with artwork she's doing. And I go, man, that's awesome. Check this out. And I'm sharing this with friends and all that sort of stuff. And I look at Nathaniel, you know, a couple of weeks ago at soccer, he scores three goals in one game and I'm the loudest on the sideline cheering him on. I go, yeah, look at him. Go, oh, that's awesome. That's so great. Transition that into leadership. And so when I see you two doing amazing stuff for the kingdom, uh, I'm there. My, I've said to you both, my goal is to be outside of your spouses and your parents, your biggest cheerleader. And because when, I'm, when I get to cheer you on, I go, man, look, look at what's happening in the kingdom because of these, these sons of mine, these guys that I absolutely love. I go, this is, this is great for the kingdom. This is great for these guys. And my hope, as I shared with both of you privately, is that you would continue to go far higher, far stronger than I ever have. And if there's some way in which I've been able to make an investment into your life so that that can propel you to go further for the kingdom, then God gets the glory for that. And I just get to celebrate because I go, look at what's happening with my sons. To all leaders listening, this is how it's done. <laughs> this is <laughs> imperfectly, imperfectly. <laughs> no, but I appreciate that so much, Craig, and it, it just oozes out of you your your genuine championing of others. It's very authentic, um, and I appreciate you being honest before about the pain in that. I yeah. appreciate you naming that it's not all, um, you know, just happy roses and yeah. rainbows, and <laughs> it's actually um, there's a cost in that sort of other focused yeah. loving generosity. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think you kind of named it maybe is some way to not uh, get rid of that pain um, but to put it in a good context is I think this development of a partnership collaborative network model. Yeah, I think awesome. there'd be a lot more pain if it was just see you later. Yeah, very much. So I'd just love for you to just share a little bit about what a, a network model and also a mixed economy approach where we don't all have to look the same. What do those things mean to you? Yeah, there's a lot that it really excites me about the network model. It excites me, to be really honest, at a theological level. I read the scriptures uh, and I did a study in the book of Acts and the pastoral epistles where you see there that there is no one size fits all for a model for church. There's all these different sorts of churches that are described within the New Testament. What that says to me is that similarly today, there's no one size fits for all. So Narara is a larger mainstream church and that's great. I love this church so much, but it's not going to reach everyone in our community. So we've got people uh, in our community uh, who struggle with uh, social anxiety and that sort of thing, or PTSD. The notion of someone with social anxiety stepping into a church of this size, that is going to be a huge barrier because they're walking into a few hundred people. Well, without COVID, they will. Uh, a few hundred people. And that that's not going to work. But these are people that Jesus died for. Uh, these are the people that Jesus rose again for. And I go, man, 
we've got to figure out ways to be the church that is different to Narara, just as, as one case in point. Um, if I'm doggedly focused on just one approach to being the church, then I have blinkers as a leader. I'm actually restricting my own leadership development by doggedly hanging on to this one particular model. But the biggest thing for me, to be really honest, uh, is that there are so many people in our community right now who don't know Jesus, and we've got to figure out ways and means to connect effectively within the community. That I go back to the missional conversation I had with you before. We've got to think missionally about this community and how we can best reach uh, this community for Jesus. The thing that I love about like the three churches that are represented around this table is that they're vastly different to one another, but they're not set up against the other. They're not set up in competition with the other. They're set up in a complementary way um, to one another, and we cheer one another on. Uh, we learn from other churches, these other churches that are different uh, to our own. Uh, what I have found in this season of COVID, we've been able to innovate far more rapidly uh, because we're in a network relationship with one another. And there's stuff that you guys are experimenting with and trying that I go, man, that's working. Let's borrow that. And equally, stuff that we've done here at Narara that seems to have worked. And you guys are able to go, cool, Narara's done that. Let's let's give that a go. Because And so we can actually increase our pace of innovation by being uh, in a network relationship. And then very briefly, finally, my eyes have been opened far more to what God is doing in the region. Uh, it just gives me more reason to celebrate who God is and what he's doing amongst us. Oh, that's good. I love that thought of not, not set up as competition yeah. to one another, but complementary. Yeah. I think that's, um, I don't think I've ever heard you describe it as succinctly as that, but it's, um, that's, that's been the, the journey, right? Yeah. And, and learning totally. that actually together we are better, even if we're different. Yeah. Um, we have gone through quite a journey of what the network has looked like and different iterations and, mm-hmm. and you know, all sorts of different things. It's, it's looked very different to what we originally thought, you know, three or four years ago. Sure. If you were to go back then to speak to yourself yep. about, you know, the coming three or four years and the network, what, what would you say? There'd be three things that I would say to myself three years ago. Starting with the same letter? No, not, not starting with the same. Sorry, man. I'm going non-Baptist on you now, you know. Still half Baptist. <laughs> Still half Baptist. Three points is definitely Baptist. Come on, come on. Uh, the three things I'd say to my, myself three years ago uh, would be number one, get sharper at making disciples and developing leaders. Mm-hmm. I thought that we were okay at this three to four years ago. What church planning has highlighted to me is that we need to get even sharper around how we go about making disciples and developing leaders, particularly if you send out really great people, which we have with both uh, Greenhouse and Meeting Ground. Uh, We've sent out some really great people, which means we need to get sharper and sharper at making disciples, developing leaders, so that we can not only continue to serve the ministries and the functions that are happening through here and connect with our community, but if we want to plant more churches, the natural uh, feeder for that is going to be raising up more and more disciples and leaders. So get sharper at making disciples and developing leaders. Number two, Craig, you can't outgive God. Uh, just trust him. It's okay. Um, numbers, you know, backsides on seats, money in the accounts. Don't worry about that stuff. Just trust me. You're doing kingdom stuff. I'm going to look after this. That's fine. And the third thing, and this is really important as well, is change your metrics for success. Um, I've really grown in an understanding of thinking multiplication, not just addition. Uh, most helpful book for me, and that was a very, uh, it's a free ebook uh, put out by Exponential uh, by Todd Wilson called Multipliers. 
revolutionized the way in which I think about the metrics that we use to measure effectiveness. Um, my concern is, often in churches, uh, the metrics we use are the ABCs, attendance, buildings, and cash. And if those three things are up and to the right, then all's good. They're actually not the best metrics to figure out effectiveness for the kingdom. Uh, we need to think different metrics um, for, for how we're multiplying disciples, how people are coming to faith, how we're developing leaders in a leadership pipeline, how many churches we're multiplying, and, and other churches that we planted, are they then multiplying as well? So it's changed the way I think about metrics. That's great. What would you say, Craig, to any other senior pastors listening who are maybe at a, a similar stage in their church leadership journey to you, um, but who maybe have some hesitation or some reluctancy around mm. church planting because of the pain that you talked about and because sure. of the um, the real challenge that there's a, probably a, a time where you could just put cruise control on. Sure. And uh, this has really, I think, forced you out of what could be a cruise control mm. time. Uh, what would you say to people that are in that position? Yeah, uh, I was in that position for a, a whole lot of years. I, to be honest, I took my eye off the ball of church planting for too many years. Uh, and it's only been in the past probably five years that the, the eye's gone back on the ball of that one. Um, a couple of things I'd want to say to my, my colleagues in, in other churches is, number one, at every level, think multiplication, not addition. Um, this really was driven home to me in a conversation, Benj, that you and I had um, probably, it would have been about, Oh, maybe six months ago now, and the conversation was, hey, um, Benj, I'm wanting to share the story of Greenhouse with Narara. Uh, can you give me an update on where you're up to with, with the numbers of people that are starting to connect in and come to faith and come along? And, uh, and I said, hey, we released roughly about 25 people. Where, where are things up to now? And I think it was in less than a year, it was up to around about 125. And, and I remember saying to you something to the effect of, wow, five-fold increase, like a multiplication of five times in the course of 12 months. That's awesome. And I remember quick as you got back to me and you said, yeah, but think about the compound interest of that as well. So think about not just this past 12 months, but the numbers of people who are going to be continuing to make disciples beyond that group. Um, and I thought, wow, A, Bench gets it in terms of multiplication, which was really encouraging at a personal level. But B, I started to think about the compound interest and you can't beat multiplication. Multiplication always trumps addition. Um, and so that would be the, the first thing. The second thing I'd say to my colleagues is to, to go back to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and Luke 19. And normally the way we exegete that text is around, you know, the, we individualize it because we're Western. And we make that about my spiritual gifts or the talents that God has given to me. I actually think that Jesus there is talking principle not just about the individuals, but about churches as well. And if we've been, in, if, as pastors, if we've been entrusted with, you know, a church, I, the question that I have is how are we looking to multiply that? Because the parable of the talents is a parable that's really around multiplying what God's given to you for kingdom purposes. Yes, it applies at an individual level, but I actually think it applies at a collective level as well. So I'd encourage my colleagues to start going back to, uh, to Matthew 25 and Luke 19. Oh, that's good. I was just thinking about that multiplication level uh, on in, in terms of networks as well. So we've planted Will's Church yep. um, a couple of months ago, Meeting Ground, um, and Narara was able to sort of transition some staffing hours and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yep. Uh, but as well as that, Narara uh, Greenhouse was able to give That's right. a $10,000 grant, yeah. which wouldn't awesome. have been in the budget of Narara. <laughs> 
Um, and so just that multiplication means that the next church is that much uh, more set up and resourced to, to thrive. So good. Um, I'm wondering just right now, um, people listening um, that are maybe interested in the whole network idea yep. and just to double click on that and just to explain what that practically looks like for us in our context at the moment and um, how that's set up and structured and because uh, not everyone might be familiar with that term. The network and the development of it has been really fascinating to me. When I was first looking at the network, I, I must admit, I thought of it in terms of, you know, constitutions and documents and all that sort of stuff. And I remember vividly God saying to me, Craig, this is not about power and control. It's about kingdom and relationship. And so the way we've structured that whole network is A, respecting the differences that we've got and not just respecting but honouring and celebrating the differences and that's great. Uh, secondly, it's around what are the things that we can do to bless and help one another because we want uh, the ch- these churches that are in the network to really succeed for the kingdom um, and that that is so important. So we, we're figuring out what things that we can willingly offer and graciously receive I think was some of the language we used in in some of our early network covenants. Uh, it's also a commitment to ongoing planting together. Uh, so we're helping one another out uh, in planting further churches uh, and also an ongoing commitment to innovation and learning together. So we have these monthly leadership labs where the senior leadership from the three churches get together and we can learn together and grow and, hey, we're trying this, what about this? And and that's that's been a, a breath of fresh air for me. Uh, and as, has, as a sending church has been a great blessing to us as a church because, as I say, for a, for a mainstream 40-plus-year-old church, I find it's sometimes a bit more difficult to innovate when you've been around for 40 years, whereas you guys at the moment are quite nimble because you're planting churches, but your nimbleness rubs off on on this 40-year-old-plus church and helps us to be more innovative as well. Yeah, I think it's so helpful. From my perspective, like we are, you know, we use this language of being a simple church, but partly that's because we've actually been able to get some support with some of the complexity and Mm. sort of outsource some of that. So Narara has actually been very helpful in some of that background complexity that enables us to be a simple church um, while still being accountable and and kind of operating at a, you know, um, not just doing our own little accidental cult. Uh, on the side. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> I remember one thing that was really helpful for us as well because we did have a very, um, you know, <laughs> the whiteboard was up and there was complex yep. structures oh. and network elderships and governance and we had this massive um, huge. <laughs> uh, uh, constitution document yeah, that yeah. we drafted up. Um, but I remember we, we got to sit, sit down with um, Bishop Rick Thorpe who is absolute legend. heads up church planting for the Church of England mm. Um in, in England and they've done some incredible stuff in turning around yeah. you know, their denomination and, and what they're doing in church planting. And one thing he said to us, which was really helpful for me, was um, build around rhythm yep. and not structure. Yeah, yeah. it's good. And, and that's why we, we started doing the, the leadership labs and um, meeting together as network pastors. But that has been a really helpful thing for me to, to build around rhythm yep. and not structure and let the structure sort of happen because it will continue to change yep. as more churches get planted and come into the network. So, um, yeah, that, that's really helpful. I was on a coaching call last week with Hugh Halter and some guys from the States and they were talking about uh, the idea of covenant and the idea of covenanting together. Mm. And they basically, somebody said, you know, who's a senior kind of leader in this space said, the best covenant document I've seen didn't really work. 
because covenant is a reflection of relationship it's so right. and it's not the other way around. Yep. You don't write a document and then hope that a relationship follows. You might have a relationship which you then reflect in a document. But I think that's really at the heart of it is the relational yeah. connection. And if it's a real relationship, then it, it's got to be more than words on paper. It's got to be we're in each other's lives and out. learning from that's each right. other. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Craig, we're going to do some rapid fire questions now just to finish off. Mm-hmm. Now, these are the one word or one sentence answers. Not all of our guests are as succinct as others, but we, uh, we know that you can do it. Thanks. I appreciate the better confidence. <laughs> <laughs> all right, question one. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest danger to the church's future in Australia? Pride. What is currently giving you hope about the future of the church in Australia? Innovation that I'm seeing from an emerging generation. What books or podcasts or people are influencing you right now? Uh, I'd be bad if I didn't say the Inhabit podcast. <clears throat> in all honesty, that is, uh, that's been a breath of fresh air for me. Um, the books that are influencing me at the moment, I, as I said a little while ago, that was a, definitely the Todd Wilson uh, book, Multipliers. I found that absolutely fascinating. Anything by James Bryan Smith in terms of my own spiritual formation uh, is absolute gold. Uh, they'd be my go-tos probably at the moment. If you had one book, apart from the Bible, that you had an infinite supply of mm. and you could hand it to anybody you ever saw for the rest of your life, what would that book be? A Resilient Life by Gordon MacDonald. Absolutely brilliant. And I've given lots of that away. Um, speaking to church planters, innovators, maybe pastors of existing churches that, that want to become sending churches, what would j- just be your two or three sentences to leave them that you'd, you'd want them to take away from this conversation? Mm. Um, the two things I'd probably say, are number one, invest in your own spiritual formation. What are the habits that you're building into your life that uh, put you in a posture where you really receive what God's got for you? Uh, so in massive priority. And the second thing um, is Proverbs 29 talks about where there's no vision, people perish. Uh, and that's not what you see, it's what you are shown is the wording there in the Hebrew. Mm. And it's about seeking God. God, what are you showing me about the sort of church that you want me to plant? Um, so the focus is not how technically brilliant you are, the focus is on seeking God. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, Craig, where can people get in contact or follow you uh, or, or see if, you know, I'm sure there's lots of pastors out there that would, would love to ask you a bunch of questions. What's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, probably the easiest is my email, uh, Craig Corkill at nvbc.info. Awesome. Craig, thank you so much for uh, everything you've invested in us over a number of years and by being part of this conversation, investing in others who are listening. It's been uh, really awesome for us. And I'm sure it will be for many others. Oh, it's a privilege. Hey, this podcast is sponsored by Baptist Financial Services. To find out more, visit bfs.org.au. We hope you are enjoying the Forming Church podcast. As fun as it is to listen to our voices, they are not the only ones that matter. Add your voice to the conversation by joining the Forming Church Facebook group or connecting with us on Instagram at Forming Church. What do the ideas in this episode's interview look like in diverse contexts? That's what Jamie, Ken and Pip are going to explore right now. Welcome, Pip, Ken. Thanks. Good to be here. 
In this interview, we heard Benj and Will chat with Craig Corkill about uh, being ascending church, networks and developing leaders, making disciples, all of these great things. Uh, The point of these roundtable conversations is to practice learning from people with diverse and at times divergent opinions. You, You might have a different perspective to Craig, Benj, Will, Pip, Ken or myself, but how can we create healthy debate and move beyond the echo chamber of our tribe? So Pip, Ken, what stood out to you? Well, I just enjoyed, first of all, kind of overhearing that conversation with three people who obviously know each other, who've journeyed together, who've been serving in, in kingdom ministry together. And to be kind of like um, just overhearing that conversation was actually just really fun because, you know, relationships is where it, it sticks and relationships is where it all starts. So that was really fun for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think for me, what really stood out, I could sort of see and track the clarity of, of, of Craig's um, vision over the years. Uh, and that was really exciting just to to hear from the beginning to where they are right now. Yeah. The verse that kept coming to me was that they'll know that you're my disciples by the way in which you love one another. Mm. And you could just sense, as Pip said, the love in the room yeah. as they mm. were chatting. And from that, like for Dallas Willard has this great definition of love is to will the good of the other. Yep. And mm. you could see in their posture towards one another in the conversation, but also in their lives, how they will the good of the other. Mm. And they do that in their churches as well. They will the good of the other church. Mm. And, and I think that that's really the key to the relationship for me is this this posture of humility and of love because humility that's where you have generosity that's where you have encouragement that's where you have this releasing open-handed posture and that at its root it really is about humility yeah mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. what else stood out to you guys i don't know i just i just was listening to to craig um one the fact that i i love i'm passionate about church planting so listening to to him speak um, about a journey he has personally walked as a leader uh, and as a child of God from a place of where he acknowledges that he had put it in the back burner, uh, but a new sort of this recognition of a flame and a passion it was so evident, not only in what he says, but in what he's been doing. It's really clear that his heart is in this heart and soul, like he's in it. And Ken, you've been sent and also sent people. Yeah. Uh, can you share a bit about that journey from your perspective? Well, uh, being sent, uh, I had the, the privilege of being sent well. Uh, and, and that sort of uh, became the foundation or became the way I sent others. Um, but on the other side, uh, as I was sent well, I had friends who were not sent so well. Uh, they were more like shooed away. Uh, and And... You could just look at the trajectory of each of those churches were very different. When you're sent well from a place of health and love, as uh, Craig talks about, sent out as a son, is very different than when you're sort of shooed away. And you could see in some of those churches, some thrived and did well, but some you could see that brokenness and that pain reflected in how that church um, height grew. You could mm, see it grew so from it created a, a, a type of culture. Yeah, that yeah, a sense of uh, of pain and. The way they, when they multiplied, they multiplied pain and, and that sense, which was, uh, yeah. So that's the being sent. Uh, sending, I, I can relate to everything he says. Um, the, uh, I love the Baptist analogy of the four, I think there were four Ps he talked about, uh, and I relate to those, but I more so relate to the pain. Mm. It, it was hard to lose good people, uh, and it took a while for our church to recover. The first time we did it was really, really painful. First, there was, there was a lot of joy and celebration, awesome. Uh, then the reality sank in, maybe three, four weeks of not seeing people we love. 
uh, and then we did it again. And I thought it would become easier. By, I think by the time we we're doing the fourth church plant, the pain was as real as it was the very first time. Yeah, mm. So I related to the pain. And that's an indicator that you love well, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, there's a grief. Yeah. 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 And yeah. The, for me, having seen their journey, uh, prayer isn't really just a tokenry thing. Yeah. Uh, mm. I know that Craig contacts these guys and asks how he can be praying for them and, yeah. and follows it up with words of encouragement and things that he's reading in Scripture. And so prayer, you, you can't... Um, undervalue the role of prayer in, in what God has done in this place. And it, it, it's been mm. really exciting to see. Mm. And, and also I love that that idea of, that Ben's talked about in terms of promotion yeah. and that Craig's the anti-gossiper. And yeah. Yeah, he cool. sees himself as, <laughs> as the cheerleader, the, yeah. the biggest cheerleader outside of your parents and your, your partner is, yeah. is, is your senior pastor. Yeah. And I, as someone being sent, that would just leave you with – so much confidence yeah, yeah. and so much security. And we t- we've talked in other episodes about the role of identity yeah. and, and being seen as a son or a daughter and being sent out with that kind of love, I think really stands you in a good stead to plant a church. Yeah. Mm. And there's mutuality in those relationships too, isn't it? It's not a one directional thing. It's not a, um, uh, a very patriarchal sort of top down hierarchical mm. relationship that we're talking about. We're actually talking about mutuality of, yeah. of, of standing together and serving together and being together in, in prayer and love. Um, and, and I think that that was something that, again, just in the tone and the conversation, it was the message behind everything that was being spoken really. And that came out in the innovation piece, didn't it? Yeah, that They yeah. could innovate more quickly because they could learn from one another and yeah. the diversity of their expressions. So you're right, it, it, it was um, the, the way in which power was distributed was really healthy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that I, I'm just thinking about, uh, just going back to what you asked a bit earlier about being sent uh, and just reflecting on it, uh, I think beyond just the affirmation you get um, as an individual that, well, I'm actually loved, I'm being sent out. It's the credibility that it brings with others. Because when you're stepping out of planted church, most of the time you're still young in your leadership, you're making a lot of mistakes. But just the love and the formation that comes from the one sending you uh, gives others confidence. So I had people who came with me, not because they really trusted my leadership as because as, as, I was young, but they trusted uh, Pastor Oscar. They, they, they're like, they trusted him. So we will sort of extend that trust to you. It's like uh, genealogies in scripture, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is where this person comes from. So there okay. must be something yeah. good in this one. So I think that was really, that stood out for me. I mean, I, there are a lot of people in my church plant I looked at early on, like I know for sure if I had not been sent out, they would not be there. Um, but they stayed. And so that, that, that's, that's the one of the beautiful thing about being a sending church. You not only affirm the individual, but you help affirm others to take this step of faith to go with them. Mm. We had the same experience being sent out by going to Baptist church. Mm. And when people uh, turned up and if they were from a Christian background, um, the, the church that sent us actually spoke volumes in terms of the trust yeah. and it accelerated the relationship yeah. that we built, yeah. built with them. Mm. Um, obviously, there's a whole bunch of assumptions in that as well, but it does uh, create a great standing for a relationship to develop. Mm. You know, Jamie, now that we're talking about being a sending church, and I think there's so much to learn from, from, from uh, just Craig and, his, and, and how they've done it. Uh, one of the things I think a struggle that I've encountered with a lot of pastors is that area. A lot of them, I mean, in terms of prayer, you want to pray for your church plant. Um, in terms of preparation, 
people want to help make sure that they send out a good leader. But the two parts that I feel a lot of churches struggle with is the promotion. Uh, the, 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 I mean, when Craig sort of gave up that Easter service, that speaks volume. Mm. And that's why people really reacted to it. Like, no, this is our biggest platform, but it just tells you the value he holds not only in the person he's sending, but in the mission to which he's committed to. Um, and I think that's where a lot of churches, they would, you know, we love church planting, but the, the place of giving it the prominence and the voice it needs, that's where a lot of churches, I mean, struggle with, yeah. yeah. And that opportunity creates ownership. Yeah, well, doesn't yeah, it? yeah. One of the other things that stood out to me was this question that one of the guys raised around cultivating humility and generosity. Mm. Uh, because I think that that is really key to the dynamic that we were experiencing as we listened in. Yep. Um, what are some of the, the ways that you've seen that practice really well? Generosity? Just cultivating humility and generosity. Well, when Nairobi Chapel multiplied into five, um, one of the things, it was very clear that the church that, uh, because Pastor Oscar chose to leave and also go plant the church, it just had there was a, this underlying assumption that it being the biggest would get all the resources and all that. But it was interesting to sit in a meeting with the lead planters and hear, because um, they'd done a lot of work in raising resources, but to hear Pastor Oscar say that whatever resources have been raised will be shared equally. Mm. And that was one little church that maybe had 100 people and one that had thousands. And just that heart of generosity that we, as we sit around this table, we sit together as brothers and sisters. It, it was just for me, I was, it became one of the ways we actually sent out people. Um, from that place of just whatever we have, we'll be generous with it. We'll not, because this church is maybe going with 300 people or this is going, for, this is a house church, we'll, we'll, not, we'll not treat them different. We'll be generous equally. I was also just reflecting on how these can be applied globally. Mm. Uh, as we partner together in God's work, uh, what does humility and generosity look like in, in global mission? Um, to bring it down just to one conversation, I was talking yesterday with uh, Banya. He's uh, a guy in his 20s in Cambodia. And um, he was saying that uh, his pastor is a missionary from the Philippines and his pastor and, and family had been um, trying to come back to Cambodia. But because of COVID, they their flights had been cancelled three, four times. Mm -hmm. Now, Banya um, loves sharing his faith. He goes to villages where there are literally no known followers of Jesus and, and shares the message of Jesus, prays for them. He's the only believer in his extended family. And he told me that uh, just in the last week or two, uh, his grandmother has come to faith in oh, Christ. Wow. And as we were talking about this, I just said to him, okay, your pastor's been trying to get back and can't get back. What does it mean for you? What might God be saying to you in this? And he just said, I think that God is, is speaking to, to me and to the church in Cambodia that we need to rise up and we need to stand and we need to have different kinds of partnerships with the missionaries to what we had in the past. Mm. Wow. And I just thought that's where it is. Yeah, of so course good. there is a role. Of yeah. course we have a part to play in God's global work. It might look a little bit different. That's so good. Mm, that's a great story. Yeah. If you guys were to ask Craig a follow-up question, what would you ask? I um, 
was interested in the fact that he said that he took his eyes off um, off the ball of church planting for a little while, um, and, and I respected, uh, yeah, his humility in, in putting that out there. Um, what what happened? Uh, why m- might he have taken the eye, his eye off the ball, and what helped him to get his eye back on the ball again and to really um, champion church planning, network um, other people to step out in church planning. Mm. I think I'll ask the question around multiplication. Uh, uh, he talked about an ins- uh, uh, an, a conversation with Benj that sort of shifted his view on multiplication uh, and talked about multiplication at every level. And my question would be, what does that look like in his local church um, in terms of how do they live at that or how do they actually ensure there's multiplication happening at at every level it's great if you were to suggest a concrete action or next step for someone in this area what would it be talk to people about what you're hearing in this podcast uh, because it's in those relationships that God can work. Uh, we need those people in our lives uh, who can say, um, just as Craig's wife did, you light up when you talk about this. God is doing something here uh, that we would both receive those words and speak those words in relationship with others. Yeah. Uh, I think for, for, for ministers, for pastors who are leading, who are seeking to be sending churches, um, I think for me the next step would be who is your will and who is your bench? Who are the people that you're saying, I love these guys and I'm willing to give up the Easter service for them? Yeah, who are those people? That's great. And maybe if I was being sent, my encouragement would be to find a leader like Craig yeah, mm. and spend some time with them and uh, allow them to invest in you, allow them to challenge you, allow them to give you opportunity and provide feedback yeah. and really... Uh, be blessed by that whole experience and that mm. relationship. So find someone like Craig and say, mm. "Hey, can I can I track with you?" And that's hard, isn't it? You've yeah. got to be bold in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and have and be humble enough to ask for that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah so the leaders might need to have those conversations, look for those people, mm. uh, but also those people who want to be led can actually ask for that. Yeah, mm. and there's power in that too. Mm. Mm. Excellent. Well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Remember to join the Forming Church podcast Facebook group and follow us on Instagram. The big dog. (laughs) The big dog. Grandpa Craig. What a great guy. (laughs) Uh, That's good. What what stood out to you from that conversation? Well, it's something that stands out to me regularly when I hang out with Craig is just he is so other-focused in his leadership and I absolutely love that he would talk about being our biggest cheerleader. And I really feel that. I, I've actually um, felt like since I first started going to Narara and, and having Craig as my pastor, he genuinely wanted me to succeed whatever that looked like. Mm. I still feel like that right now. So for me, that's the big takeaway is do people feel like that when they're around me? Yeah. Yeah, I, my, mine is very similar uh, on a practical note, how he talked about how – um, you know, when he's been asked to come and speak places or do something, he brings someone else and, and shares that opportunity with them. And I just think that that is such a good practical way. I know, I know for myself, you know, when you start to get asked to speak at places and people start to value your voice, you, you sort of, um, you want to like in, in an egotistical way, kind of take those opportunities and it's like, yeah, great. Like people, uh, respect me or whatever, but it's, it's actually a, Man, what a good practice to continue to hand your influence on to others. And that's mm. um, humbling. And, I, and you can see that through Craig's leadership, that he is just humble and open and kingdom-focused, others-focused. And so, yeah, I, I need to think about 
that a little bit more and how I continue to do that for um, the people in my le- in my world and the leaders in my world. Love it. Well, friends, if you haven't already done so and you listen on an Apple device, would you kindly consider leaving us a rating and a review, write some kind words and uh, help other people to find this great podcast? Yes. Thank you so much for all the kind words that are written. We do appreciate them. Already. And uh, the people tagging their friends on Instagram and sharing uh, the conversation. Because I think this really is a, a helpful tool, a valuable tool for uh, people looking towards the future of, of what church is going to be like. And uh, we get to so do good. that and, and have a conversation together. And so um, invite you to continue to have these conversations on the Facebook group, on Instagram, and uh, get amongst us. Amongst get amongst us. us. Get amongst it. Get amongst it. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you next time.